Hey guys, what's up? I had the pleasure of speaking with Jason Leach this week. He is a pianist and producer out of Louisville, Kentucky. He originally got his foot into this industry by building his YouTube channel and putting his own spin on huge EDM tunes from the likes of Rez, Zed's Dead, and many more. Fast forward a few years, he has just released his collaboration with Closey. He has a new official remix coming out for Showdown super soon, so keep an eye out for that. I am so proud and so hyped to see the progression as well as his future and what it holds for Jason. Do not forget that you get first looks and exclusive content only on my Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash this is Lizzie Jane. We had a killer EXO radio just released yesterday with special guest mix from Tombs. He is a night-based artist. It's a little bit different than the normal artists I support on EXO radio. So if you are a fan of house music, make sure you make our way over to our SoundCloud or my YouTube channel to peep and listen to the mix. Without further ado, this is Lizzie Jane and you're tuning in to the the EXO podcast. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? you use PC? I do use PC. Master Race. Gang. What the are world? You, yeah. Are you on PC? No. No. You're like, no. PC <laughs> is the only way to go. I mean, I, I, for a long time, I, I weighed out the, the I just switched. I weighed out the Mac versus the PC comparison. Yes. And I don't have like a PC. I ha- I don't have one that was built at home, but I have okay. one that's like all portable, like 32 gigabytes memory, four terabytes of like, like everything we kind of have is all in this computer. I can stream, I can do Zoom, I can mm-hmm. run Ableton, all my like outboard plugins. So I'm not complaining. I think I just had a really shitty Mac beforehand and I just had to make that decision to switch or or upgrade massively in like the Mac ranks. But how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I woke up in a, a really good mood. So you caught me on a good day. That's awesome. Well, I yeah. greatly appreciate you coming on the show, Jason. I've like watched you kind of from a distance. I hope that doesn't sound like creepy um, for like for like yeah. a while because I come from like jazz and metal where it's predominantly instrument based. And then when I kind of jumped into the realm of production, it was a huge hindrance for me for a while to realize how I could piece together the parts of live instrumentation into EDM and do that in an effective manner that I could still, I guess, hold up the end of live performance and kind of start doing that on the road. And Mm -hmm. you've done that forever. So for everybody listening, you know, welcome to the EXO podcast. Um, this week we have on Jason Leach, and I really am just astounded by this like whole lane you kind of created for yourself. And I appreciate you coming on. You just had a collaboration with Closey and Lucid, and you've just been killing it. You've been headlining your own shows, and like everybody's starting to get behind the, the Jason train, and it's very exciting. And so. So thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's called the J train. If you the want J to get it right. train. Okay. Oh, okay. I got it right now. Everybody's getting on the J train. Okay. You got it now. That flows. That flows yeah. though. I, I like that. Everybody's That's, got like their little niche. There's, there's a joke people, uh, some people have said to me, and it's funny that you said Jason train. So I had to say that. No, I love it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like. I think everybody has that little, that little kind of like back end, whether it's like the Facebook group or per se, I think of like the Trivecta tribe and like all of those Mm. little things, but that's cool. So everybody's getting on the J train. Well, thank you for coming on today. Um, For our listeners, if they're not familiar with who you are, if you don't mind giving them just like a brief introduction, some of like your latest releases, where they can find you um, before we hop into our conversation. Sure. Uh, my name is Jason Leach, and all of my socials, YouTube, everything is Jason Leach Music, and it's Leach, L-E-E-C-H, spelled literally like a leech. Um, I make, I started out making performance videos where I play keyboards on electronic beats, and so most of my, like, 
content is videos of me playing keyboards on EDM, um, you know, sounding beats. Uh, lately, I had a release, like you said, with Closey and Lucid. Um, and I have some originals out. Most of my stuff, maybe 90% of my stuff has been remixes of songs I love and playing those remixes live on keyboards. That's who I am. <laughs> I love it. No, thank you for giving that like brief little intro in case somebody sure. wasn't already familiar. Um, you kind of sit in this special lane where, you know, you started as doing these almost like your own perspective takes almost covers solos, piano solos, you know, whatever MIDI you wanted to program to your keyboard on top of some of, you know, the electronic dance music classics in the bass genre. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to see you take that jump from really just doing like remixes and like understanding the back end of like music theory and music knowledge to jam over those songs into putting on like the producer hat and now doing full originals. So at what point in your journey were you sure that you wanted to make this jump and shift into being like the full on producer instead of just, okay, I'm going to do, cause there's so many people out there on YouTube who do kind of like what you do, but in different genres, you're the only one who I know who predominantly like does it in bass music, mm-hmm. but I was just very curious about like your mindset and your journey from like point A to point B where, you know, now you're collabing with like some of the biggest names in like the freeform bass scene. Yeah. I, it, it completely started out on, Oh, I love this song. I want to play on this song. And that's what it started out with. And that's, that's all it was. Mm -hmm. And it was not like I will have official releases on you know, with these artists, it was just like solely. I love this song. What if I, what if I put a piano solo on it? And then, um, I mean, it got some attention. Like I had an audience grow, and then many, many comments of "We want originals," and that is really like I was like, okay, because I like I think without that, I would just fully just been like, I would have been like how a YouTuber is. I would just been the remixer YouTuber and that would have been cool with me. I, even if that did happen, that would still be cool with me because I love doing that. But so many people, sorry, was like, come on, like, that's my piano. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so many people were, solo. There there's always go. one right around me. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of you were like, yeah, like pushing me, like, let's hear some original stuff. You know what I mean? And like a lot of comments. Cause I always post a remix. I was, I didn't really do anything original. And that's, that's honestly what really pushed me to like, okay, let me try it. And like things with like closey, I did a closey video, like a remix first. And, and she uploaded it herself and said, check them out. You know what I mean? Which is really, really cool of her. And then I'm whatever. That's like a connection made. But I was like, here's some original material I made. And she's like, I love it. And then she put it on her EP, you know? It's like, okay, so there's a weird way to like navigate this. Absolutely. And and it's a way that does not often happen because a lot of the times, exactly what you said, when you kind of get in that like remix niche, even though, you know, you can hit millions of counts of views by remixing and putting your own take on, you know, well-known songs. I see that in in metal and jazz and EDM and like you can stay in that lane. But what's really cool is that you were able to develop a fan base that wanted you to take that step further and take that step into original production. And it's like, you already had these eyes on you that when the opportunity presented itself, you were able to take advantage of it. And I think that's such a huge thing in this industry where sometimes opportunities don't knock twice. So being prepared when you know you least expect it can always pay off in the long run and that's just like super super fucking cool how you just kind of climb that ladder and now Thanks. you know where are you from originally Pennsylvania about Pennsylvania. An hour okay. yeah hour south of Pittsburgh 
Okay. Awesome. Are you still there now? No, I moved to Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Awesome. And so you're touring right now, pretty much. You'll have like one-off shows where, where you're going and you're headlining and you've been on some festivals, which is super cool. And Mm -hmm. when you kind of got into this scene from a live performance view were was it was it an obstacle to face when you started getting offers and started like getting bookings where you know you're leaving your studio and like your safe space where you're used to doing your videos and now you've got to take it on the road and you've got to make this whole live element and performance that's you know 60 minutes long because when you're looking at a band's set list you know a regular supporting band, even the headliner will only play 45 minutes. Sometimes they'll have four to five songs, but you have an hour. So it has to be quite the process of completely building your sets from the ground up. Do you use Ableton when you play live? Ableton. Logic. 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 Come on. Logic is where it's at. Logic's Ableton, man. Oh man, I started on Logic. I started on Logic, so I understand. But you left Logic for Ableton? I did. I did. I did. I did. He's like, he's like, I'm getting up. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you're in Logic. So do you use Logic when you're building your your live sets? Like, take me through that process because I feel like I know a lot of individuals who are kind of doing what you did not at a level in which you existed on like the YouTube scale, but they, you know, they have their instrument that they love, whether it's guitar, piano, you know, even if it's Mm -hmm. just like an Ableton push pad or something. And they're very lost when building an orchestration or a melody on top of a previously existing song. So I would love to know your process. Okay. So I made videos first and everything ran into logic. GarageBand first, because GarageBand is like the training wheels to Logic. Mm-hmm. All right. So I was in Logic, and I was making these videos. And I was getting my videos posted on, like, by big artists and big blogs. And I never played a live show. And I have no problem making a video, but I had no idea how to do a live set. And it was very, very difficult to figure out how to make it into a live set. and. I mean, I, I, I've i been like crawling my way up. It's pretty much, I'm getting it to, within the last year, maybe year and a half, is like where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But basically, I only made three or four minute tracks and that was it. They were like on their own. Whereas a live set, it's like, you, got, you better make this move and you better keep the people moving. So my first shows, my first shows were like, the song ended and then I didn't know any better. I had silence and people be like, you'd hear this smattering of applause in between, you know what I mean? Like there would be like this, this awkward. Okay. And then I would start the next song. And lately I've been figuring out the art of the mix and the making it an hour long movement and it doesn't stop. And every 30 seconds, there's a new sound I'm playing. And it's just like, look at this the whole time. You know what I mean? And that was very, very tricky to figure out, all right, how am I going to, I'm going to, I don't want to say compete, but like, it's, it's like, if there's a DJ and people are moving for an hour, it's hard to be like, here's a song. All right, take a break. Here's a song. You know what I mean? But lately, like I said, like last year or so, I've been able to put all these together and it sounds it sounds like a dj's mix but i'm playing all the electronic sounds in it exactly and that is so difficult to piece together especially when you know just like how a band would format their set list they would have mm-hmm. song one through 15 song one through 13 but exactly kind of with djing in this genre that you exist in they never stop moving And I really do feel like creating like that quote unquote, like vibe and having a live element is quite the difficult task and to, to master it definitely takes time and patience. And I'm sure you've kind of had to read the crowd at points and make notes and go back and correct. And, and I think it's cool though, because 
Whereas if you just kind of look at a DJ, it's very easy for them to exchange cue points and exchange songs, you know, put in, put in works and progresses, IDs, whatever. But with you, it's more of a strictly like live performance, which is really special. And I feel like I see the industry, not so much shifting, but I see the, the need and the call for live elements, whether it's singing and instrumentation, something along those lines are going to be the future of this genre in the next like five to 10 years. I mean, I don't know from your perspective, do you kind of agree with that? Or, or do you see more of your colleagues kind of trying to pick up live elements or are they just kind of doing their own thing? I, I agree. I really see live instruments come into play. It seems more and more. And like a lot of these producers, like a lot of these DJs are musicians and they know mm-hmm. how to play a bass or a guitar. You know what I mean? Like I, I see it. I see it coming. Like it seems like it's something that is next because whenever I'm get off stage, I always hear the same thing. If it's cool though, but it's like people are like, Oh, people want that live element, you know, but people are, they're always saying it like true to their hearts. They're looking at me, you know, like people love that. That's what you got to do. You know what I mean? But it's like, that's, that's, that is what I do. I'm just trying to fit into your thing. It's not like I'm a DJ and here I'll throw in my thing. It's like, I'm only a piano player and I'm just starting to figure out my way into your DJ world. But it's funny because people are like, you sh- you know you should definitely keep that live element going it's like i'm i'm just trying to fit in you know it's like that's who i am excuse yeah, me yeah um, but it's yeah. but it's 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 really cool to see that growth and and i promise you the way that you're doing it is a hell of a lot easier than going the other way around being a dj and saying <laughs> okay now i want to put a full piano or like orchestration and and write an hour worth of material on top of my DJ set because I've, yeah. I've seen that end of it. And that's tricky as well. It is. Yes. Agreed. But I have been sitting backstage with my piano about to go on before Subtronics. And that is scary, too, because yeah. I'm about to play a piano solo for this crowd that's here to see a Subtronics. Mm-hmm. And like I would like it sounds like there are monster noises outside the green room. You know what I mean? Just like well, I, I know that you've talked on this podcast about imposter syndrome. Oh like, yeah. I oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, well, I absolutely feel it sitting backstage with a piano at these shows. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that should make you at least take a step back and acknowledge that what you're doing is working because most people, if they were to pursue doing what you're doing, they would not be in the position that you're in. So people yearn for that live instrumentation because I don't know many, I would say, electronic dance music consumers and fans that just like EDM. They all have other interests and other subgenres like like Tame Impala or, or rap or hip hop or jazz or, you know, alternative rock. So whenever someone brings out the live element. I sing a bunch during my sets and it's like, whenever I sing, even though it's really hard to compete with somebody playing rhythm or somebody playing, you know, 155 BPM triples Mm -hmm. over and over, it's a really special moment that you kind of, it's, it's kind of a mind fuck. And I don't know if you've ever gone through this where you've been on stage and it's like, you watch the DJs go up and they're like hype and everybody's like jumping and all the stuff. And then when you go on, it's, it's a, it's a mind jumble because they're not behaving in, in the, the same way that they were for somebody who was playing really, really hype, like subtronics ish music, but they're watching you like they would watch a band and they're watching you that they would like how they would watch a performer where they're, watching this full package instead of closing their eyes and listening the whole time where I feel like with just being a DJ, it's very easy to like exist in the environment around you feed off the people and their energy, you know, side by side. But when you have a performer like a band or what you do yourself or a singer there, you're watching them. So the behavior of the crowd is different. I don't know. Have you ever seen that kind of happen in front of you where you're on these bills with these like 
massively high energetic heavy dubstep guys and then you go on and it's like everyone's just staring at you uh yeah a lot yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it it's funny because i i i'm getting better at it but it's it's like hype doesn't equal better it does just because it's hype doesn't mean that the crowd even loves it more i don't there are i mean like the audience isn't like this dumb group of people like if just because they're not like headbanging doesn't mean they're not enjoying it Mm -hmm. but I think it's just like in my head that I mean I'll throw some bangers in but like it's just like a piano solo isn't worse than a heavy rhythm song just because it's lighter I mean maybe it's a bad piano solo but like just because it's not as heavy doesn't make it worse than that and the people like it um, but, but what gets me is there is something to keep in the energy going and you don't want to bore a crowd mm-hmm. and just trying to, that's kind of where I'm at. So just trying to figure that out. It's just like, can I throw in a piano solo into this, you know, rhythm lineup, have the people enjoy it, but then pick it up and keep moving. But like, uh, yeah, it, it's hard because not headbanging, if they're head headbanging 20 minutes ago and now they're not headbanging, you're thinking I'm losing the crowd. Yeah. You know yes. what I mean? Oh, definitely. And I've gone through that so many times because I feel like right now I'm in the circuit where I'm kind of getting out of the state of Florida and a lot of the bills I'm on are just with extremely heavy artists. And I think it's always great to be different because when I was more of like a general consumer, I would never be a fan of like hearing the same type of music for five hours. Like I love having it mix it up. And I'm not saying go from dubstep to tech house. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. that there's so many sub genres that fall under the base category that you can really handpick a select set of artists to keep the energy moving and keep that movement there, but not you know, completely run one subgenre like into the ground. So I always think it's really nice when I'm a fan and I go to shows and there's an artist that just like exists in this different lane and then you're refreshed. It's like you're listening to something new. And and I really think that when you even go into the back end of it and you look at like the psychology behind like certain frequencies and where certain elements exist, when you're using live elements, you're existing in a different lane than when you're layering a huge sub and and mids at like 3K hertz to like a loudness meter of positive two decibels and people are just like going crazy. So there's like a special part to all of them. And and it's cool to see a larger variety of artists, I feel like starting to come to the forefront like yourself. And and yeah, that's super cool. I've seen uh, more and more... uh, Twitter statuses that we call them statuses. Yeah, little tweets. Tweets. Little bird oh flies god, <laughs> showing my age. I've seen m- many more. I've seen like multiple. The reason why, why I'm saying this: many tweets about. Um, it's not all about sound design. It's about the song. Yes. No. I absolutely. That. I love that too because it's like at the end of the day, this is one of the biggest things during COVID. I started a Patreon because not only just financial stability, I've always loved to teach people, but I feel like we're in this age where, especially with EDM, where there's so many aspiring producers that you kind of decide to sit on like this side of the road or this side of the road. And like this side of the road is I'm going to really focus on synthesis and the knowledge of sound design and I'm going to use vital and serum and atmosphere and contact and I'm just going to make the craziest fucking sounds and then you know you can resample them you can layer them over a 4-4 drum beat but then there's this side of it where at the end of the day you know the musicality is what's important and is what's really going to bring the majority of listeners back to revisit your track. So I feel like it's important to take the two things into consideration, but I do listen to some music sometimes where I just go, how is this listenable? I don't know how this is listenable. And art is biased. Do not get me wrong. So many people I'm sure love it because it's technically yeah. 
perfect. And I think there's something to respect, especially from producer's perspective of having a perfect mix down of having some crazy sound design techniques. But my, from my personal experience, like my most successful songs have had really basic song structure that wasn't really even EDM song structure where there was a verse and a pre-chorus and then the drop came and then there's a bridge and then there's another pre-chorus and you have your second verse. So mm-hmm. when there's lyrics for, for somebody to attach themselves to, when there's a main melody for someone to attach themselves to, and I feel like having that like motif in your music is what you do with your, your piano solos and what you do with your keyboard solos where like that is where you're finding your like main melody and your musicality. And, but I, I definitely agree and and I just feel like we're so out there at this point. There's people who kind of follow that song structure. And then there's people who really are like, okay, I'm going to go down this niche little alley on the back of 4th Street and, mm-hmm. and try and, and try and like target those, those kids and those people who really, really like that. And, you know, to each their own, I think that's how the scene moves forward. But I am someone who resides on this side of the road and, and supports your kind of opinion where like at the end of the day, the song, like if it sounds good, it's good. Like that's how I kind of approach my mixing techniques. Like at the end of the day, like I can look at all of these spectrum analyzers and EQs, but it sounds good. It sounds good. You know, send it to your buddy. If he thinks it sounds good, it sounds good, but there has to be something to attach yourself to in a song, I feel like Mm -hmm. in order for it to kind of reach a certain level where, you know, it's a well-known song by certain artists or by you or me. And, and a lot of that underlines in, in the, the, the lyricism and the structure. And unfortunately, as much as we focus on it as producers, people probably don't give a shit about your snare and they don't give a shit about, about a lot of the sound design techniques that, a lot of producers really focus super heavily on they just want to have that energy and that movement and that vibe that's continuous throughout the whole like body of work i um i think skrillex messed us all up mm-hmm. he's the first hit like you know what i mean he is he i, I wish it i wish it had a smaller climb up but you're like okay so scary monsters is like what that's entry level yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, going off what you said, th- there is something, this is really cool, something I learned um, getting into producing. Like, um, I didn't know it until I was doing production, but like when I play a chord on a piano, um, each finger is hitting at a different velocity and they're all hitting millisecondly different times, you know? So like if you played like a triad. Yeah. Ding. Like that's not a perfect, like if you looked at MIDI, it's not like a perfect, everything is the exact same velocity and everything's at the exact same time. It's a little off. Mm -hmm. One finger is weaker coming down and it was a little bit later than this one, but that is where it's at. That's the groove and that's the swing. And I didn't realize that at first. And I like, I would be like, I would play something and then I would quantize it to make it perfect. And I was like, wait a minute, this sounds like everyone else's, this sounds like a robot is playing piano. And it's funny that the imperfections, and like if you're singing, you don't hit the downbeat perfect, you come a little bit early. Yeah. But it, it adds that groove. And it's so funny that it's like, no, if you record it and you hit it, a little bit early keep it because that's what makes it human and that's that's like that's that's so cool i love that so much because it it i don't know it's just like in your face it's like an in your face just that is what the human element is that's what people are talking about imperfect not perfection it's imperfection it's that you don't hit those perfect lines with the metronome you know what i mean I love I think, that. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I think that's a lot of what sometimes I feel is missing in our industry because it's so easy to quantize everything. And I mm-hmm. know a lot of people, you know, they don't own a MIDI keyboard. They don't own an instrument. So 
based on how they learned, you know, you're always going to hit on the downbeat. You're always going to look at your MIDI piano roll. And even if you're working in triplets or, or eights or 16th notes, it's still going to be on the grid. And I remember when I first started producing, I, you know, took a few lessons here or there. And I had a teacher who said, don't be afraid to go off the grid because that's what interests the ear. Like, don't be afraid to turn the grid off and write like you were writing because at the end of the day, it's like when we go back into, I'll use like hi-hats and percussions as examples. Mm -hmm. Like I'll do like the house effect, which is a simple time delay because at the end of the day, you want your drum elements to sound real. You want them to sound, that's my personal approach. Like I want my drums to sound like a drummer's playing them. I don't want them to sound like they're robotic. And Mm. there's this aspect where you have to kind of find that happy medium between, no, I'm not going to put my snare, you know, on beat three or, or like have it like in this really weird area where you're like, whoa, that sounds like it's not supposed to be there, but you can choose these fills and these other elements where you can do stuff that's more impromptu. And, and for a long time, when I started using my MIDI keyboard, predominantly when I was doing sound design or just, you know, chord progressions, I would always get frustrated because I'm like, I'm not playing to the metronome. I'm not, you know, it's not perfect. But if I were to play it live, like when I was playing it in a band, every note I hit on the bass wasn't perfect. And every time you're hitting it, exactly what you said, you know, it's not going to be the same velocity. It's not going to be the same pressure. And that's why I feel like it's like this backwardness because I know you work in logic, but I'm sure it's the same in the piano role where you can control the velocity, where if you play on the piano, that's naturally going to happen. And so when you play live, are you kind of arming different tracks throughout your set that have different sounds on them to go to your keyboard? Or how are you facilitating everything? Or does it just sound like a regular piano the whole time? I do like I I started out with a mixer and I was trying to transition and mix tracks and play keyboards. Okay. I was like, all right, that's people, rough. I was like, <laughs> and yes, it's it was extremely difficult, but people don't care that much. People just want to hear good music. So it's like, all right, forget the mixer. All right. I will make my mix and transitions in logic and I make hour long songs. You know what I mean? And nobody cares, which is yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So I have the, I have the like mix made and literally just like, I don't make it one hour and I throw it. I make like the separate tracks, like, and I throw them into iTunes and I can watch them go down. The the beats are taken care of, but they're wide open for me to throw whatever I want into them. And then I get all... I have three keyboards. The bottom one stays acoustic piano at all times. The middle one's a MIDI keyboard that I run, and it triggers main stage, which is also Apple. I don't know if you ever heard of it. but I have heard of it. I'm not familiar with it. So what is main stage? If you use Logic, this is like, it's like Logic's cousin, but it's for live. You know what I mean? It looks just like Logic, but it's for live. And what it is, is when I hit a button, on my MIDI keyboard, that middle, that middle one, I, it okay. goes to the next instrument and I make all my instruments and I have 50 ready to go for the set. And every time I hit a button, it goes to the next instrument and I know what song I label it so I can see it's like big fat font. So yeah. you can see what song is right. So that one is the weird bass sounds. And that's, that's fire. Like, that's yeah. so easy to like switch like that. If you have it all organized. Right. And I have to do it all like beforehand. And then the top one is a Yamaha keyboard that has very good um, real sounding instruments. And whenever I need strings, um, you know, pads, simple instruments, like it doesn't have like dubstepy sounds on it, but it has like a, a real sounding flute and a real sounding violin. And like, all right, that takes care of like easy, simple instruments. Whereas the middle one is like the drops. So yeah. like I'll I'll build up a song with the piano and the like a pad. And then when the drop comes, I'll cut to the middle one and it'll be some either something in serum or 
massive or a sampler. That's awesome. And then you have your lower one is just acoustic piano. Yeah, I got to keep it. it, it yeah. People people make that connection because people look at me and it's like the, once you once you see me playing a piano looking thing and it sounds like a piano, no matter who you are, you know what that is, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you're almost creating your own dynamic range like in the set by having the the tripled layered where you can have those drop elements have the organic keyboard that's going yeah. into the build with the pads which is that's super sick but i think that's what kind of running it full circle is what people are like really attracted to as listeners especially if they're at like an edm show is when someone gets up there and they bring this whole performance and it's mm-hmm. a whole performance based you know live element and when you like, I would love to know, like, are you traditionally trained in music theory? Did you start in classic piano? Like, how did you start kind of playing piano? Did you just start as a kid? Yeah, as a uh, first grade um, piano lessons, like traditional, just like classic piano lessons. Um, can, you know, start with sheet music. Um, I, I took piano lessons all the way from first grade all the way through college like nonstop. And I really, I really got a hang of things once I started learning like chords and knowing chord structure. And then I was playing at like, um, you know, like bars and resorts, like the background piano Mm -hmm. lounge guy, like I'm that guy. I'm playing like lounge while people, people are drinking and just learning a bunch. I mean, I love that gig, but like, it was like learning covers like yeah. if, if you learn a bunch of Beatles songs, like you learn a lot about how chords can move and how melodies work. And I owe a lot of like what I know to those piano gigs. Cause I would learn, I would learn. I liked, I liked classic rock, you know, and I would learn an acoustic version of a Zeppelin song on piano. Oh, that's so great. You know what I mean? But like, but, but, but learning it, you, um, you see how how they moved. Oh, they did this different. You know what I mean? Instead of just mm-hmm. listening to it, when you learn it, you really and like that's seriously helped when it came to um, my videos and production. Absolutely, I remember distinctly when I was like thirteen years old. Right now, by Van Halen was the first song <laughs> I ever learned on piano. Mm-hmm. Oh Good yeah, one. the huge riff, beautiful riff. I was like, that's yeah. what I want to learn because I before I was kind of like a metal head and got into that whole industry before kind of coming over to EDM, I was just a classic rock buff, like my Mm -hmm. whole childhood. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I like to learn. And there's so much to learn from that genre, just in basic, like what you said with like chord progressions, but like song structure and writing and with like your end, like I've done gigs like that before, like, especially when I was in college where it's kind of like the cover deal, but you still have to put your spin on it. You still have to, you know, have those solos or have those jam sessions within, Mm -hmm. you know, the Beatles song or within, you know, the Van Halen or Led Zeppelin song. And that I'm sure helped you when you came over to EDM, you're like, okay, I know if I know what key I'm in, I know what chord progressions I can go about. I know how I can solo over this. Is that kind of how you jumped into electronic dance? Like, where did the switch come? Like, where did you go from, okay, I'm like content playing like these Beatles, like classic rock songs to, okay, I really fuck with bass music and I'm going to start soloing over it. Like, how did that come about? Skrillex, come on. I already told you. No. Oh, man. (laughs) No, uh, that I mean, so this is like this is like 2010, 11, okay, UKF, ZZ, yeah, yeah, yep, all that, but like a little tyke, yes, yeah, but it was just like, what is this, you know, oh, yeah, but but what's really, really like, it's not like if I really, I mean, I love classic rock and I was a metalhead for a while, but it's like, okay, why didn't you stay in that? Mm -hmm. Well, because there, there are a few. But it's very limited. Uh, keyboardists get the limelight in metal, and I mean, I I have some favorite classic rock keyboardists, but it's usually lead singer or guitarist. Oh, absolutely. 
and it's like the, there's not like the lead keyboardist of these bands which i loved and i was and i was always trying to fit into a band and it was like there would be like the and i played in you know bands and the rhythm guitarist lead guitarist drummer bass and like all right keys try to fill in there try to fit in there you know what i mean and then uh bed's dead uh nights in white satin remix was the first one oh okay yeah and i was like wait a minute the lead the star the the star of the show is a synth and it's not a synth player but i didn't know any better i was like like the forefront the the spotlight is on this melody it's not a guitar solo it's not a lead singer it's a synth melody that I know can be played on keyboards. A crazy, like, you know, but it's these are synth sounds. I was like, wait a minute, there's a genre where the synth player is the front, and that, that's where it's it was the all. The star, in. yes, yeah, right. oh, absolutely. Yeah. I got to be the star is what I'm trying to say. There we I go. Do- no, you figured it out. And I yeah. mean, it's it's kind of like a one-man show, but we live in this age where technology is so you know, ahead of us that we can do it. You know, they didn't have that option back then. And I remember when I used to, when I was really following the metal scene and then you saw all of these pianists pop up who were playing the synths and they were, they weren't necessarily playing just traditional keyboard, but you know, that was the first introduction to MIDI that I saw kind of Mm -hmm. like the breathe Carolina attack attack, asking Alexandria (laughs) kind of bands where they had these massive, like, like violins and synths come over these heavy yes. drops. And I thought that was so cool. And it was exactly how my mind worked where I was in a band for so long. And then I kind of had to make that decision. And it's really hard to, obviously at one point in your career as an electronic artist, you do have to have a team. The team is really important. They, you know, they're your family, they're your unit and they're, they're essential for you to, you know, reach that next level in your, in your career. However, when I first got into this, I was in the mindset that it was all on me. So I could control my success to a certain standpoint, and I could control if something didn't get done, it was also on me. So I really Mm -hmm. loved having that, I guess, window of opportunity to have the creative forefront where you can really do whatever the hell you want. And, and then you can see, you know, you can throw it at the wall and see what sticks and like what you did happened to stick. And how long has it been since you've started doing kind of the remix YouTube videos until now where, you know, you're touring and you're, you're releasing and you're producing originals? Um, about five years. I actually saw today, you know, they do this Facebook memories. Oh, the memories. Yeah. Yeah. And Alice in Wonderland had uh, uploaded like my first video. I did a remix of I Want You and she uploaded it. And it was like, it it was so like most insane thing, which is, it's still very cool. But I saw that was five years ago today. And I was like, hmm, that's about when I started doing remixes. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. And it's been such a fun, fun ride. Not in just getting like, I mean, I love getting, you know, the clout from artists and everything, but like, I've learned so, like, when I look at that video, I'm like, oh, I can't believe, like, I'm like, like, I can't believe that's what she posted because I could do so much better. But I, it's really cool to see that. I mean, that's what it has to be if you're, that's what, you know, that's what I mean, it's growth. You would hope that you would look back at something from five years ago and think that because that means that you've grown and you're getting better and, and, I think we also like live in this age too, where a lot of like, there was always this division I felt for a very long time between whether you're an aspiring artist or just like a fan of someone. And then like the actual artists, like there wasn't that middle ground where you could connect with them. And Mm -hmm. now because of the age of internet that we're in, you know, you can tweet at people like Alice in Wonderland and they're going to fucking see it. And they're gonna, and it's so weird. It's conceptually like very mind boggling because you used to never be able to reach the people that you looked up to or the people that you would cover their songs or do whatever. And now we just live in an age where it's so easy. And as much as I am not a fan of the internet, do not get me wrong. I think there's a lot of things wrong with social media. 
I think if you use it in the right way, it's very beneficial to a career path like ours. And especially like yours, where, you know, you originally started by remixing and putting your own take on these huge songs. And from my position, when I've seen people do that for my own songs, like that's really cool. And I'm sure all of the artists that you've done feel the same or they wouldn't have reposted it because it's so cool when somebody who is also an artist takes the time out of their day to like reinterpret what you've created. I think there's like something really special about that. Yeah, it it like it means a lot because they don't really I don't think they I mean you work your way up the ladder, but I don't think they realize um what it can mean for people coming up and what kind of fans you gain. Like like if Alice in Wonderland posted a video of me, now all of her people know who I am. Oh yeah. And, and it it's like she might she might be thinking, hey, this is cool. I like this. But to me, it's like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's a huge deal. And I mean, I know she was an artist coming up once, so maybe she she knows a little bit, you know what I mean? But like, think, it really is helpful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone was in your shoes and my shoes and her shoes at one point where somebody who was 10 levels bigger than you kind of gave you the time of day to check out your art or download your track or play it out at a huge festival. And to the person that's on that lower, the lower end, it means so much because it's like a huge demographic that they're exposing you to with not even a thought. And, and Mm -hmm. it's really, really awesome. And I think it's really cool. The, the community that we do have where I see a lot of very huge artists do it a lot and they put on people all the time. And, and I think at the end of the day, it's, it's like, yeah, brand matters. The the shows matter, the social media matters, but if your music's good, like it will find the way to the right people. I, I think, and it's just, sometimes you just have to be patient which is really hard because every artist is not patient and wants everything mm-hmm. right here, right now, especially from my standpoint. But it's it's just kind of, you know, acknowledging the journey. And it's like, I'm sure one day you hope to be in the shoes where if you see someone kind of doing what you were doing or you think what they're doing is cool, you can share their stuff. And it's like, you just kind of keep the train moving and like giving back, yeah. pushing forward, giving back, pushing forward, which is is super sick. And when you're like building, when you made the jump to be like, okay, I'm gonna switch over to originals. Was that in the last year, two years? Uh, pro- two or three, yeah. Okay, two or three, yeah. Okay, um, Where, and- was it? Oh wait, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Please. Are you sure? Wait, are you sure? Okay. I was going to say, I, there we go. I was going to say, um, did you have to kind of cross that bridge where you had to actually get into the DAW and like understand, I guess, how to arrange other elements or was it because you just knew song structure of electronic music so well already, it was easy for you to build underneath your piano in the originals. Um, the song structure is not a problem for me. The melodies aren't a problem for me. Like the, the musicality is not a problem for me. What kills me is the mix. I, that is the worst. And like, I know you can say, get your stuff mixed by somebody else, but I know what I want to hear. And if I present to somebody else, just a, a bunch of stems unmixed, things aren't going to pop like I want them to pop. So like, mm-hmm. I really want to get them to the point, at least to a point that I'm like, I like how this sounds. All right, can you mix this tighter? And like, that is what was hard for me because with um, these artist remixes, a lot of times I got stems. Yeah. It was like, the drums are rocking. It's a track to run on, you know, perform. I throw a synth solo on top of this perfectly mixed sub and these drums and like these, you know, you got hi-hats on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, just go. And I can just run on it. And it was like, all right, you know what? I should probably make it original. All right, open up Logic, blank. Not a one thing. Okay, what do I start out with? You know what I mean? Like, and that that was really hard is just to 
it's still hard today is a blank slate is incredibly like intimidating because mm-hmm. is a chord first is is it a like is that the first thing i don't know i don't know what this song is yet and and like you almost are working forwards and backwards in that sense because you're thinking about the whole thing but also the first 20 seconds some people make their drops first you know what i mean but like but that's weird for me because how does what's the vibe and i usually any song i've ever played started out with the intro you know, like when I'm yes. performing a Beatles song, I'm playing, I'm not starting, you know what I mean? So like the confusion of just the blank slate is what really gets me. And it still, to this day, takes me a very long time to make an original song because I have to get over the fact of like, play, like set it and forget it. It's like when I play a, a um, chord progression, that's what it is. All right, move on. Because otherwise, I can spend a month on a chord progression. Yeah. yeah. Whereas a whereas a remix is like, all right, I'll throw this. That works with that because this, the melody goes like this. It's like without the scaffolding, I'm. It's like I'm an open water. You know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I feel exactly the same. And that's why for a long time, I would like open a blank page and just stare at it and say, okay, yeah. where do I start? And now, you know, depending on where I'm at, it's like I'll have some sound design sessions. I'll have some moments where it's like, hey, maybe you should just jam and like work on a melody or write some lyrics and then write underneath that. Because me just staring at a blank DAW is just problematic. It is, Mm -hmm. it is. And it's really, it's almost like a mind fuck because you have to, push yourself over that. And it's, it's exactly where, like, when I get remix stems, I go, okay, I listened to it a few times. I see their groove. This is what I picture in my head. Let's make it happen. Because you're already drawing inspiration from something else where it's like, now I have, I don't know, what do you do for inspiration? If you're, if you're like, I, I not necessarily having writer's block, but if you're trying to start something, do you draw inspiration from other music, movies, books, like outside? Do you go and write outside sometimes? Everyone's like creative process is different. Yeah, I, I do rest out. I sit on my porch. I like sunlight, you know? You know what's really, really cool is just uh, movies on mute. Um, yeah. I really like uh, Planet Earth, uh, BBC, um, you know, like David Attenborough. Um, yeah. Animal documentaries. Throw them on mute and just sit with your, and it's just like, there's always in between like times where you have to wait where something's loading. And if you look up and there's like a Jaguar on the screen, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it does make a difference. I, but a lot of inspiration is, is basic. It comes a lot from songs that I know. It's like chord structures that work. Cause I mean, chord structures used over and over again. It's not like too weird to use the same thing. No. Just put your own spin on it. Exactly. Um, I and that's like that's like what where I came came out into the scene is like I love these songs. Let me play on them. Like whenever I'm making original, it's like all right, I love what song do I want to go with? Like um this I'm working on an original now and I like a song, uh Portishead. It's like a nineties um glitch hoppy, kinda like massive attack. Oh sweet, okay. You know what I mean? It's got that vibe to it. I was like okay, I found a song. I was like, I want to capture this, but in my own, yeah, you know? And like, that is what set it off and it got it moving. But to get it moving is hard because you sit there and you're like, it. the first thing is like BPM. It's like, what is this? You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. It, yeah, I really, it's just my love for other music can push me in the right direction. And then it becomes something, I'm not copying it completely. But like if it gets gets me rolling, that's all I need. No, I do that all the time with like reference tracks. And I'll do like a reference track that is not EDM, like something mm-hmm. from a different genre. And you go, okay, I want to capture this in my own. Because at the end of the day, every chord progression to man, it has been utilized. I honestly also think every sound that you could have possibly created has already mm-hmm. been created by someone. So it's just your choice of how you want to arrange things and present things in your own manner. And, and I'm 
the thing that you just said about mixing, that is my, my downfall as well. I think when you, I don't know if it's like, I'm sure it's not a musician thing, but the best engineers that I know don't play music. And like, I don't know if there's like Hmm. a thing behind that or, or a science that they approached a certain way, but there's a very good point that you had where, you know, especially in what you're doing, you obviously want your piano and your synth to be the forefront. You want that to be the focal point of your song the majority of the time or mixed with the mixed with the vocals or however you choose to attack the mix down. But it, it's like that happy medium, medium of finding the spot between, okay, I'm happy with the sounds, like how the sounds, but like just tighten it up instead of presenting just flat stems with a bunch of headroom to somebody because they're going to interpret it a totally different way than you are. And I think that's really important because so many people are like, oh, I need it to be this loud and I need there to be this much dynamic range. I'm also one of those people when it comes to certain songs. But then there's that other flip side of it where, okay, how do you want it to sound? Because you're going to present it in a way that's more relatable to you as an artist than any engineer could probably present it, even if it sounded better on Spotify when it's overly compressed or whatever. So it's, it's, it definitely, I just feel like it's, it's a journey of time and patience and forever, forever ongoing learning. And, and just so many times I still take lessons from people all the time because there's just so many ways to do things. And I think that's, what's so cool about this genre in specific is, you know, it's great to be in a band, but you know, you're almost hindered sometimes when you open the world of this DAW and there's just an infinite amount of possibilities to kind of figure out. And I think that also sometimes fucks you up because there's so many things that you could possibly do. It's not just like write a guitar, write a guitar progression, write a chord progression. That's so true because like I, that I, I was deep into production and then I heard someone say like Nirvana was three guys. And like the fact that like, or like the fact that a guitar, a bassist and a drummer can make like a number one album. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Cause you're, you, when you first get into production, you're like, all right, the more technical, the better. I'm going to get so much more technical than smells like teen spirit. I'm going to have the yes. perfect <laughs> sub bay. You know what I mean? Like, like you have in your head, I'm going to do better than that because I'm going to be so technical. Whereas they were just miking the drums. Literally. You know what I mean? But like, that's, it, it, it's, it's like a blessing and a curse. It's like, I have control over everything, but the, I, I actually get stuck many times looking through samples on splice. It's like, wait a minute. I just spent an hour going through samples on splice. I should have like, Kurt Cobain wouldn't be like, I don't like that. I don't like that. You know what I mean? He'd yeah. be like, he would just like rip the guitar and just bum, but like there's there's like a rawness that there's a rawness that you can miss out when you think too technical. But there is a balance because there yes. is definitely there's definitely that like technical part of EDM that that pops. The the sound is just so wide and you know, amazing. But it's so it's so funny to think about like how simple of instrumentation there is on a you know a Zeppelin album. Oh, absolutely. You know? But it's like you even listen to like the beginning days of kind of dubstep with like even though before that it was all UK dubstep. So like this is kind of more in the states, but mm-hmm. early Zed's dead. Yeah. You know, you listen to it then, and then you listen to it now, and it's like the technology has just furthered itself so much more. So I feel like there's this level of expectation that comes with the further technology where, you know, if Nirvana were to record that today, probably sound a hell of a lot different, you know? So it's It's like taking from that past and also saying, okay, now I have these tools that are going to make it sound a hell of a lot better. But there's that like nostalgia that you kind of miss in it when it's just so like raw because that's what we don't see a lot of the times. But with live Mm -hmm. elements, it's easy to bring that back in and bring that like raw element back in play. Are you, so you said you were working on 
new music right now. Do you have anything like exciting coming up that you can share with us? Sure. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, original music, which is just like all my own thing and I'm working on putting out. But my first official remix uh, with So Down and Manic Focus, which is really exciting for me. I've never done an official remix. Um, and that's what I've been working on lately. And that and that is really nice because it is both what I love where the track is laid out and I can do my thing. I'm really like in my element with that. Mm-hmm. And it'll be like, um, you know, that's very it, exciting. it'll come out like officially, which is different for me, you know, versus yeah. just like social media videos. Um, that, that's what I'm, and that's what I'm kind of focused on right now. But I, I don't have any, I don't have an EP. I don't have an album. I've just been putting out singles. So right now it's just like buckling down on making that happen. I mean, one song at a time is like the hardest thing ever. And to think about a five or 10 song album seems impossible, but that's, that's like the chase right now. I feel like the singles are the way to go until mm-hmm. you like reach this point where you're ready to sit down and write something cohesively. Because in my mind, when I approach an EP, kind of like the Grizz album, the new album, where it kind of flows from one track to the next, one track to the next. I really Mm -hmm. like that. Or doing like a concept EP or a concept LP. But as an up-and-coming artist, I would definitely say singles are the way to go, for sure. Because it keeps you that Mm -hmm. like... I I think unless you find that, that home or you feel like it's a strong enough body of work to put out... In this industry, genre specific, I think keeping that consistency with the singles, I always say if you can do one song every one to two months, it, it's it's you're sitting in that good spot. But it's also, don't get me wrong, I wish it could last a lot freaking longer, but we basically live in a, in a time where everyone's attention span yes. is like this. And, and But what is unique about what you do as well as what I do is that, you know, we're not just making bangers. We kind of strive to make more record-ish tracks. So they have this kind of timeline in which they exist on where they can, you know, people can attach themselves to the lyrics. People can attach themselves to the piano, to the synth solos. And Mm -hmm. like, that's like your thing instead of it just being, you know, a regular banger, which is okay. Tracks are important sometimes. I always look at it as like tracks versus records. And like, they're both important in this industry where you just put out some tracks. Sometimes I was talking to taboo the other day and he's like, you know, my album is records. And then I put out tracks on Wakan and I put out bangers on Wakan. And, and I think it's cool to look at it that way because you can really see that, that balance. And we just, everything's moving so fast that you just have to consistently release. I feel like, especially in this time where we're starting to get back on our feet, but COVID stuff is still happening. And, you know, we have weather stuff and all this other, other stuff. I know like imagine got canceled earlier today, which is like yeah. super shitty. And, Condolences but, to you, yeah, man. I, saw no, that. I appreciate it. I was, I was just like, gosh, darn it. But you know, at the end of the day, like they have to do what's right. And I would much rather them make the call than put people in danger. That's that's my my point of view. You know, the festival will always be there, but it is still sad. Festivals are great. That's why I like I love the environment there. And you yeah. know, it's just fun to be around other artist friends. And there's a really cool community that's built here and everybody kind of has their little high school table they sit at and they have a yeah. little group of friends and high school's and forever. Oh high school's forever, especially <laughs> in this industry. Um yeah. but that's that's really exciting. And then congrats on the official remix. I I know that's like a really cool step, especially coming from like where you are, where you like that's how you started. You, you know, yeah. like that. And and now it's like okay, people are coming to you and saying, hey, like do you want to do a do you want to do a real take on my song? And and especially if that's your kind of forte that you flourish in you're I I can already tell you that you're going to be doing a lot more official remixes which is super Thanks. sick but I wanted to thank you for coming on today I'm really mm-hmm. glad I got the chance to speak with you and I know we missed each other at Asteria but I hope we can eventually cross paths and hopefully play an event together or play a festival together I'm sure it'll sure. happen um so tell everyone one more time where to find you and then Tell them when the remix is coming out, if you can tell them. 
I don't know that day for sure. Okay, so I won't okay. say that. Okay. I'll make sure they're, I'm, I'll make sure they're, they're updated. I'll put the link in there when you drop for it. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Jason Leach music. Um, like I said, I don't know when the remix is coming out, but I'm always putting out video content. That's like my forte. It's just fun videos. Yes. So uh, please follow me. Uh, yeah. Jason Leach, Rem- Jason Leach music on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the EXO podcast today. I greatly appreciate it. I'm going to stop recording. Appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the XO podcast. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you that are return listeners and viewers. It means the world to me. And do not forget to check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash this is Lizzie Jane for a first opportunity to hear these podcasts ad free. Give us some input who you want to see on the podcast. Ask questions, one-on-one lessons, group lessons, live streams, and so much more. This is Lizzie Jane, and I'll see you next week for another episode of the EXO Podcast.